Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Love Capades podcast. In numero 18, Michelle told the heart-touching story of how she came to have a dog, something she had resisted for years. It's one of those God-inspired tales that seem to follow our courageous and wise heroine in every phase of her life. The story described a kind of unconditional love that is rare beyond rare. I wonder what magic awaits us in the next episode. Let's find out. Well, this chapter is called A Fairy Tale in the Garden. For me, the year 2001 was not a year for love. On Memorial Day, my younger brother had died. This tragedy triggered a tsunami of excruciating emotions and travails. As I mentioned earlier, it took over a year to settle the financial and other muddles left in my brother's wake and to get my father into a safe living situation. To help recover from these debilitating challenges, I signed up for a Stanford trip along the Po River in northern Italy, and the day before the trip ended, the Twin Towers came down in New York City. When I saw the first images on CNN, I said aloud, this means war. Indeed, it had been a time of making war, not love. Thank heaven, 2002 brought amour back into my life. It happened in an unexpected way. But then what else is new? For some time, I'd been living with a uterus full of fibroids, like little pebbles of disappointment. On many occasions, they would bleed profusely, often leaving a mortifying puddle of blood behind. Finally, I made the decision to have a hysterectomy to put those painful, embarrassing events in the rearview mirror. To prepare for the surgery, I wanted to spiff up my backyard garden to make it a pleasant place for my recovery. I hired a landscape lady to help with the project, and she came with a young Mexican gardener named Jorge, who did the actual restoration work. He did such a good job, I hired him to be my gardener moving forward. Soon after the surgery, I was up and running again. Because I adore gardening, on gardener days, I would find time to spend puttering and pruning alongside Jorge. He was small but sturdy of stature, with an attractive face that smiled easily. His hair was brown, but lighter than most south-of-the-border gents, and his eyes were amber and expressive. They could signal mischief, or they could bore into you like truth-seeking missiles. Perhaps most notable was the fact he was nearly 25 years my junior and scads pounds less in weight. Yet another younger man. But these differences didn't stop him from flagrantly flirting with me. I thought to myself, he probably does this with all of his clients. 
That theory was dispelled the day my pretty friend Carol came over and found us in the backyard. She and I spoke later, and I asked if she'd noticed what a big flirt Jorge was. She said, well, he wasn't paying any attention to me, that's for sure. He only had eyes for you. A few weeks afterwards, Jorge arrived for his garden duties and rang the doorbell to ask me some questions about what needed doing. I was wearing my workout togs, a loose t-shirt, and black tights. Unconsciously, I reached back to rearrange my panties, which were in a bit of a bunch, and it made a small snapping sound. This prompted Jorge to say, why don't you let me do that? I was appalled. This was his boldest move yet, and I frankly couldn't believe his Latin lover chutzpah, or should I say cajones. There was my Mexican gardener, half my age and about half my size, taking me on in a way many captains of industry had feared doing. And he apparently wasn't planning on taking no for an answer. After his bold remark, I remember telling him that I knew what he was up to and that I didn't know what to do about it. With that, I slammed the door in his face and retreated into my safe haven to contemplate what the heck to do. It had been quite a while since I'd had a satisfying sexual liaison, and this is what the universe was offering me. But it clearly came in a package that I had a very hard time imagining. I hearkened back to my improv professor, Patricia Ryan's brilliant advice. If you block what is offered, you will have a very dull life. Either accept it as a gift or pass it forward. This works in improvisation and it works in life. I knew this was a pivotal decision for me. Needless to say, my ego railed against the idea of my sophisticated, successful self being bed down by an uneducated Mexican gardener far afield from my social class. So, to clarify my decision, I drove over to the Stanford campus later that night with my convertible top down, parked in a field, and communed with the full moon. I had quite a talk with myself. Byron Katie, one of the many teachers I'd encountered over the years, used to ask this question. Can you absolutely know that it's true? So, I pondered, is it really true that saying yes to Jorge would be a bad idea? After a lot of back and forth, I finally pushed my frickin' ego to the side and decided to go for it. I suppose you could say I'd strapped on my own pair of cojones. The next day, I called Jorge and invited him over for a glass of wine. We both knew this was code for, your wish has been granted. Immediately, the nerves arrived like a horde of Huns. It had been so long since I'd had a proper lover, my wardrobe for such romantic antics was nil. I took myself over to Macy's the day of the rendezvous to find a little something to throw on after the deed. Disrobe in the dressing room with its three-way floor-to-ceiling mirrors caused a spasm of panic. There is no 
way, I said to myself, after viewing my overly ample figure, that I can go through with this. But I did go through with it. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, proving how important it is to trust the wisdom of your psyche. Jorge appeared that evening, looking like the frog who had transformed into the prince. We sipped wine and tasted a few nibbles while sitting on the couch, and then he made his move. We repaired to the bedroom and made love once and then again, and by the time dawn was breaking, again. Luckily, it's like riding a bicycle. You never forget how. And there is nothing that feels as heavenly as good sex. Of course, it is made better when love is involved. Would it be possible for us to love each other? Or would this just be recreational rolls in the hay? This is the perfect time to tuck in another love bite. Shortly after Jorge's nighttime visits began, I noticed a damp spot in the red wool living room carpet near the front door. Upon closer investigation, I could tell it was dog urine. This was very strange, as Shakti had never peed anywhere in the house. I called our dog trainer to see if she could shed light on the situation. Well, she could have a urinary tract infection. Or has there been a change in your routine of any kind? I hesitated and then said, I have a new man friend, as a matter of fact. She explained that it was probably jealousy at work. She's pissed, literally. From that moment forward, every time Jorge and I headed to the boudoir, Voyeur Puppy came with us and had a bird's eye view from her doggy crate. My one and only menage a trois. As the weeks rolled into months and eventually into years, it became clear that Jorge had come into my life to cultivate more than my garden. We created a kind of intimate Camelot, where both of us could play together in our own unconventionally delicious way, apart from the complications of our separate lives. We spent many happy hours in the garden and in bed, when after sex, I would help him with his English and explain how the world of business worked. You probably remember how my Italian improved thanks to help from Nicola between the sheets. Helping Jorge was paying that forward. He told me I was a fantastic teacher. When I asked why, he said, It's like having a private tutor. With you, I can be myself and have no shame. One time, I bought a novel about a Mexican-American family, which we read aloud to each other. Coming from a poor farming family in Michoacan on the western coast of Mexico, where education was scant, these sessions were catnip to him. After one reading session, I asked Jorge to promise that in exchange for all the things he was learning, that he would do the same for someone else one day. Before I could finish the sentence, he said, So you aren't asking me to pay you back, but to help someone else one day. I replied, That's right. You can pay it forward. He said he could do that. 
Once again, he surprised me with his innate wisdom and sensitivity. I continued to marvel at how unorthodox our relationship was, and yet how happy it made us feel. My affair with Jorge taught me once and for all that amor often looks much different than what you expect. Sometimes it's about finding yourself with an unlikely person and creating a big, oddball, delicious love. To help me understand why our connection worked, early on, I consulted my go-to astrologer, Barbara Courtney. She had much to say about Senor Jorge, and it helped immensely paint the full picture. In his most recent prior life, he'd been very, very wealthy and belonged to a noble family in Portugal. She explained that these memories were right under the surface for him, and that it was one of the main reasons he'd been drawn to me. Clearly, Jorge was much more elegant and sophisticated than he appeared to be. This made a lot of sense to me. Barbara also explained we'd already shared a lifetime together in which we could have really loved each other, but I wouldn't allow it. That sounded familiar. I was getting a chance to do it right this time. She assured me that the arrangement was definitely not as lopsided as I thought of it, but mutually beneficial on many levels. Ours wasn't just a lust thing, but a relationship of respect that played itself out as a fairy tale in the garden. Still, the hackneyed questions lingered. How do you know who Mr. Wright is? Why hasn't he appeared in my life? Would I really want him if he did? Jorge's life was complicated. He had three sons by two different mothers, neither whom he had married. Believe it or not, two of the sons were born the same week. He was, after all, a hot little Leo. He loved those boys, taking his role as father seriously, but was in constant battle mode with the mothers. Early on in our affair, I invited Jorge and the three boys over to spend a few hours by the Christmas tree. I had gifts for each of them, aged three to six, and served hot chocolate with holiday cookies. I'd hoped to get to know them, but they were all a bit deer in the headlights about the whole thing. This was to be the one and only time I saw the sons and further demonstrate ours was a relationship meant to remain apart from our outer lives. As time went on, Jorge struggled with how to manage his three monkeys, as he called them. He ultimately decided he should find a wife to help him with the immense task of being a good father. He didn't really want a wife, as his history had shown, but it seemed to be his most responsible solution. It didn't surprise me that this intention began to interfere with our blissful routine. I knew he was looking for someone to be his wife, but I had no way to know if he was finding anyone. I didn't blame him, but I was feeling less and less comfortable with our arrangement. One day, a light bulb idea illumined my thoughts. What would it be like if we decided to marry? The wise Byron Katie said, Happiness may look entirely different than you imagine it. 
Again, my ego kicked up its hooves and told me I had to be smoking dope to consider such a notion. Given our individual situations, it was pretty preposterous. Or was it? I felt I owed it to myself and to him to look for an answer. But it would take more than a top-down communion with the moon. For help, I turned again to my former therapist, Linda, the woman with whom I'd done so much past life work, and who used a technique called creative source. It's a muscle testing method which short circuits one's thinking self and goes right to one's inner truth. It had been infallible every single time I'd used it to get answers. In the midst of this all-consuming conundrum, I arranged to meet with Linda. The way Creative Source works is by making positive statements, and then the practitioner pushes on your outstretched arm to see if it stays steady or if it collapses. Steady means yes, and collapsed means no. Here are the questions and the answers that came up. One, it's in my best interest to get a new gardener. Answer, no. Two, it's in my best interest to explore a long-term relationship with Jorge. Answer, yes. Three, it's true I am the one to initiate the conversation. Answer, yes. Four, Long-term relationship means getting married. Answer, yes. I was flabbergasted by these responses. I'd expected it would be wise to get a new gardener and move on. At the same time, I was excited. I knew it had to be a two-way conversation and that I'd need to remain both open and unattached to the outcome. Easier said than done. A few days later, Jorge arrived for his regular garden maintenance time. I went out to tell him I had something personal to discuss. We settled on a date four days hence when he wouldn't have to be with his boys. As I turned to go back inside, he shot me one of his famous laser beam looks, which said, I think you mean this is important, but can I trust you? He told me once that his mother had broken his heart, which had contributed to his mistrust of women in general. Jorge arrived at the agreed-upon time with a shirt open to his sexy chest and a dangerous mustache smile. Immediately, he gave me an amorous hug, one that made me tingle all over. I can feel it at this very moment, and it still gets me excited. I told him before any lovey-dovey stuff, I had things to discuss with him. He said, are they good things? Yes, I think so, I replied, but I'm very confused. Then I launched into all my machinations over the question, should the two of us be married? He was all ears and listened patiently as I described the questions I'd asked Source and the surprising answers. I even did a demonstration on him and suggested he ask his own questions. He wanted to know if he should have more children. Answer, no. Whether he should marry. Answer, yes. And if that woman would be Mexican. Answer, no. 
By this point, I could tell he was done with the talking and was more than ready to make love. He had always been insistent on using a condom, so I told him there were none left in our sex drawer. He went to check in his car, and when he came back empty-handed, I said, Let's go downtown and buy some. There is a full moon. We can put the top down and go out for a short adventure. He hesitated a moment and then said, No, I'll drive. My heart sank a little as I didn't really want to go in his funky old truck. But I decided it was best to give in to his request. With that, we walked out into the moonlit driveway. And what did my doubting heart behold? A four-door Mercedes sedan he'd bought from a friend in the two months since we'd broken up. Instantly, I was reminded how our relationship had changed him, giving him more self-esteem and reconnecting him to his more elegant self. Wow. It had changed me immeasurably as well. For one thing, I'd learned you won't receive love by begging for it, but by being it. We cruised downtown in his new uptown ride with the moon roof open and warm breezes curling around us. Once parked, I said to him, bring me a surprise. Shortly, he was back with a small red heart-shaped balloon on a stick that said, I love you. Then and there, I asked myself the internal, eternal question. Can a girl really ask for more than this? I kissed him on the cheek and told him how much I loved my surprise. We were quiet as we drove back to my house, except for the several times Jorge said under his breath, Muy bueno, muy bueno. Once home, we made love using one of the turquoise-clad Trojans in the box of 14. We used another in the morning before he asked, Are you looking for an answer to the big question? Not yet, I replied. Just think about it. It was the beginning of May, Cinco de Mayo, in fact, when this reunion took place. I'd suggested Jorge take time to consider the idea, but I wasn't prepared for him to wait four weeks to respond. In the meantime, I was getting annoyed, hurt actually, so it showed up as headbutting over garden issues in the weeks that followed. This was typical with the two of us. Both stubborn and somewhat bossy, we'd often disagree over how to do gardeny things. Much earlier in our time together, we'd been potting pansies when I heard him say in a whisper, you are so complicated, and it doesn't scare me a bit. I realized, however, it must have been harder for Jorge because I was both his Haifa and his lover. We'd weathered many tiffs over the years, but these began to take their toll on my resolve. More than four weeks had elapsed since I'd put my cards on the table, and inside my head, that doubting tape began to play. No way, Jose, can this marriage work. The very day I began to look for another gardener, Jorge finally spoke up. 
He arrived that morning for his regular garden maintenance. I was out in front, and he asked if I had time to talk. We sat on the stone garden bench under the deodar tree. Jorge got to the subject at hand quickly, and I just let him talk. Once it was my turn, I said, After I laid out my heart, I got no response from you, and it felt like I was dismissed, he interjected, as if he knew how that felt. Yeah, rejected. Your silence spoke volumes. Then the conversation got very real. His wisdom and sincerity impressed me yet again. He said, you wouldn't be able to stand it if we all moved in with you. The three monkeys would be on their bikes up on the roof within minutes, and you'd hate it. I wasn't sure if he was being considerate of me, letting me down gently without saying what he really felt, or just being practical. Maybe a little of each. Or maybe it was his way of loving me. Jorge also said several times that he couldn't change me and I couldn't change him. But, he continued, the sex is so incredible, it makes me feel complete as a man. It was my turn to chime in. Well, why do you think it's so incredible? It's not that I'm a sex kitten or that I have a wonderful body. It's because we've connected at the heart-soul level and we love each other. That's why the sex is so great. He mumbled agreement. So that's the dilemma. What do we do? We are so linked, but our lives don't mesh. At this point, we walked toward the rear garden, and he asked if we could remain friends. What do you mean by that, I asked. That we go out for a beer once in a while? Like the essential lesson in When Harry Met Sally, I explained to him that men and women can't just be friends, especially not us. Desperate to stay connected somehow, he made one more plea for sex. When I said that just having sex wouldn't really make my heart feel good, he blurted, But you don't really want to be with someone long-term either. In a loud voice, I replied, Yes, I do, he countered. No, you don't. (laughs) Did he really know me better than I knew myself? Not long after this dramatic scene, the fairy tale came to an end. Camelot closed its gateway and pulled up the drawbridge to bliss. The garden is a place where things blossom and grow. Then they die, and then they blossom and grow again. Isn't that just the point? There are seasons to love. It may die, but will always come again if you let it. To this day, I ache as I recall our decision to part company. But our time together had been fertile and full of love. How grateful I am that I'd bravely opened my heart that moonlit night and said yes to Jorge's invitation. The prince had awakened sleep and beauty and made her very happy. And as Marcel Proust, the famous French novelist, said, Let us be grateful to people who make us happy.
They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. So before moving on, I have another moving love bite that fits right here. After my breakup with Jorge, I was desolate and seeking consolation. One of my spiritual gal pals, Susan, and I had just had a coffee powwow at our favorite outdoor cafe, Borone, to commiserate about Jorge. Upon leaving and getting in the elevator to go down to the garage, the automatic doors were stuck shut for a few minutes. I finally clapped my hands to see if they would open, and voila, open sesame. A mysterious male voice in the rear of the cabin said, Your magnetism opened the doors. Susan and I glared at each other in acknowledgement that his was some sort of cosmic message. My charm had attracted Jorge, and my heart had opened the door to love. Michelle, what an absolutely enchanting love story that was. Oh, my. Ah, yes, yes. It was, and it still is. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's delve a little deeper, though, okay, into some of what you read to us. So I know that early in, you told us that it was, you're suffering fibroids and, and surgery that you had to go through. What was it exactly about the fibroids and the surgery that led you to Jorge? I knew I was going to have to recover, so I wanted to spiff up my garden in the backyard. So I kind of find it ironic that these fibroids, which had caused me such havoc, oh my God, I can't even tell you how awful it had been, that these troublesome fibroids actually led me to this one of my greatest love affairs of all time. Right. It certainly led you to gardening, and gardening in your life became such a big part of your life and your love affair with him. So when did you first figure out that he was really interested in you? You know, he was pretty flirtatious with me, but I assumed that was just his M.O., and that he did that with everybody, <laughs> with every woman. Uh-huh. Until the day my girlfriend Carol came over and she found us back in the backyard, clipping away, pruning, whatever. And she stayed for a while and then she left. And I later talked to her on the phone and I said, well, did you notice how flirtatious Jorge was? She said, Michelle, he wasn't flirting with me. He only had eyes for you. And it was then that I realized this wasn't just his M.O., that he was making a play for me, which I found astonishing. Right. And boy, did that play become <laughs> quite forward at the front door a scene or two later. Oh, my God, that scene was so dramatic. Tell us more about it. I have never been so flabbergasted in my <laughs> life. I thought, what the is he up to? And with that, because I didn't know how to respond, I basically slammed the door in his face <laughs> and retreated and thought, what the hell am I going to do about this? Because I, kn- I knew it was like the big offer. And 
I I had a choice to make. Was I going to say yes or was I going to say no? And that's that's when it all unfolded. <laughs> well, were you flattered or were you turned off? I mean, what was the general feeling that made you so flabbergasted? Well, that's a great question. Was I flattered? No. I was too <laughs> flabbergasted to be flattered because <laughs> there was such a difference here between the two of us. First of all, he was about half my age. He was, you know, a small man in stature, and I'm a softic woman. And <laughs> I was from a very sophisticated background, and he was not. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This is what the universe is offering after all this time. Well, gee whiz. So I wasn't about being flattered. It was being it was being astonished and not knowing how to deal with it. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned because the theme of accepting what the universe offers you has certainly been thematic through the book. And here it is again, right? <laughs> right. So you move forward, you decide that you're gonna go for it and you have nothing to wear. But it was interesting how I decided that. So how did you? Well, I, I took myself, I knew I had to make a big decision. So I literally drove over to Stanford, my, you know, favorite place outside of Italy. And I put the top down of the car, the, the moon was full, and I sat there and had a big fat discussion with myself, <laughs> a serious discussion. What was I going to do with this proposal? And I really, really delved into it. And finally, I... I let my ego get out of the way, and I thought, okay, this is what's being offered. I'm going to try it out. Why not? Well, that's that's the Michelle we love. You know, that's the the book that makes it so enchanting, that part of you that will always go for it instead of not. So here you are. <laughs> tell, tell us more about that scene that you went through with yourself in the Macy's dressing room. Oh, my God. So, you know, I invite him to come over and the day arrives and I think, what am I going to do? I don't have any sexy little item to throw on. So I go over to Macy's lingerie department and I pick out a few things and I take them into the dressing room and there I am naked with a three-way mirror. And I went, holy shit, I cannot go through with this. I was just mortified. But in the end, I did go through with it. Thank goodness. So what made you make the decision in the end to say, F this, I'm going through with this? <laughs> well, you know, I'd gone through that whole discussion with myself in the moonlight, and I had made the decision to accept what the universe was offering. And yet here was an, yet another obstacle. That little scene in the dressing room was, ugh, I just, it was so uncomfortable. But in the end, I thought, okay, what the F? I mean, he wants me the way I am. So let's let's just see where it all goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the scene that's standing out to me a lot is a love bite that you tucked in about Shakti. <laughs> <laughs> Shakti, but, but Shakti, who was pissed. <laughs> I know. It turns out that was such an interesting discovery. You know, I mean, she was the perfect dog. I we just talked about it in the last episode. How wonderful she was, and it turns out that he would come over in at night, and she didn't like it. So she was pissing at the front door, which is where he entered. <laughs> And, you know, it had been going on for a while, so this 
poor carpet. I mean, I finally noticed it. And I went, well, why is she pissing on the carpet? And then when Barry, the trainer, explained it to me, it was like, wow. So from that moment forward, whenever Jorge and I would go to the bedroom, we would take <laughs> Shakti with us and she would be happy as a little clam in her crate watching us have sex. Oh my God, Michelle, you said, you said the line <laughs> that it was the only menage a trois you ever had. I mean, it cracks me up. <laughs> I know it's so true, but I mean, she, she had to be part so of it. So cute. So adorable. Yeah, yeah. And that you let her be part of it. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't want to have a pissed carpet all the time. <laughs> of course not. And actually, she adored Jorge. She adored Jorge. And she actually loved all my men friends. <laughs> she, she was like she was like a flirt, a little fluffy flirt. Oh. Adorable. Well, she was an extension of you, as we learned. <laughs> I think so, yeah. A mini me in dog form. Oh, Shakti. I miss Shakti. I do so, too. <laughs> So you say that weeks turned into months and years seeing Jorge. So how often were you seeing each other during that time? Well, once or twice a week, you know, he would come for his regular garden day, but then we would make dates at night and he would usually spend the night and then we'd make love before he'd left at six in the morning. And, you know, it was just so astonishing because we never ever had a life outside my wonderful little Camelot, as I called it, this Camelot that we had created together. And it was pure bliss. I love that statement that it was like your own little intimate Camelot, but tell us more what that meant to you. What does that mean? Well, basically, we just, you know, we didn't date in the classic way. We didn't go out to dinner and share a meal. We didn't go to the movies. We just had this little world we created in the garden and in my house. And we shared time together. Sometimes we'd watch, shall I say, uh, suggestive television together. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd spend time in bed. And that time was always wonderful because it wasn't just the sex. It was what we shared with each other and how I taught him and he taught me. And it was just this uniquely special connection that we didn't have to share with anybody else in the universe, except Shakti. Right. Secret in a delightful way. Yes. So you did mention that what you were teaching him between the sheets and Jorge learning English from you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So charming. It was literally delightful for both of us because, you know, I had been trained as an English teacher and I was improving his English little by little which he kind of soaked up. He just loved it. And one time he told me I was a fabulous teacher. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I can be myself without shame. And that just said so much to me. And then later on, I said to him, you know, all this stuff you're learning, whether it was about how to speak English better or whether it was how to, to conduct his gardening business better, I said, you can share this with somebody else. And he instantly got that. He connected the dots and said he could do that. I, I, I thought that was really ex extraordinary in a way that he understood that so quickly. But that theme of paying it forward that you described, what made you want to give him that? Was it because it was something you had experienced in your own life? 
Well, you know, I'd had that wonderful opportunity to to improve my Italian with Nicola between the sheets. Right. But but it was more than that. You know, I I was a born teacher in a way, even though my high school teaching experience wasn't a positive one. But I loved him and I wanted to give him, you know, I wanted to share with him what I could. It was coming from my heart. And because it was so sincere, he just lapped it up. He loved it. It was extraordinary time for him. So it was just a beautiful sharing that transpired between the sheets. Yeah. Michelle, one statement that you put forward that I really would like to hear more about is that amour looks different than what you expect. So delve into (laughs) that a little bit more for us. That's huge, isn't it? You know, we grow up to to think that, at least in my generation, that you were going to fall in love and have a family and that you were going to marry somebody appropriate who was from your milieu and somebody your parents would approve of and so on and so forth. But the truth is, love comes in so many forms and it often comes in unsurprising ways. And if we're uptight... (laughs) We miss those opportunities. And I'd done, you know, so much spiritual work by this time, learning spiritual lessons. And I had been so affected by that course I took at Stanford on improvisation. And I just realized that sometimes these things, the universe is offering you love in a form that doesn't fit. And this was the perfect example of that. And even with all that spiritual awareness I had gathered and gained, I almost said no, because it was this this young man, this Jorge, was so far afield from what I expected. But thank God I got over myself. Well, along those lines, the relationship really is unusual, isn't it? I mean, how many women would have let themselves go to something that was so opposite their expectations so opposite what they would typically align with in a lover? I think most women would have said no. I mean, we all hear about wives who dilly-dally with their gardeners or their contractors or whatever. (laughs) It's an old trope. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty common. But this was different. This was a serious love affair in the end with somebody. I didn't share this with my friends. Are you kidding? That was part of the Camelot thing. It was something that I kept totally private. It wasn't anybody else's business because I knew that those people who knew me with clients, friends, whatever, they would look down on it. They would think I was out of my mind. And as as we discuss it today, the listeners, some people may think, you know, this woman made a very, very weird choice. But the fruit of that choice is so sublime that I realize that I allowed myself this gift and I am forever grateful for it. And you were investigating, it seems, inside yourself why this unusual connection was so deep. And and so tell us more about the past lives you found out that you had together. Well, in the beginning of the whole thing, I, I was trying to make sense of it. So I consulted my astrologer, Barbara Courtney, and she went into great detail about how the two of us had been in a former life and that in that lifetime, we had the chance for great love, but that I interfered with it. I said no. 
And isn't it amazing how the universe gave me a second chance at that? And I almost said no the second time, but I didn't in this life. However, she also explained something that made sense, so much sense to me, that Jorge had been in his most recent past life a nobleman from Portugal. And obviously, that sophistication and elegance and nobility under the surface is what allowed him, I think, to a large degree, to take me on. I really think that was at play. And it kept showing up throughout our relationship, this elegance, this sophistication, beyond what you would expect from the package that was presented. So it was pretty mystical. It was pretty cool. And it also brought up going to these counselors and learning more about your connection to him spiritually brought up some deep questions in you once again. Like, I love how you asked yourself, well, how do you know who Mr. Wright is and why hasn't he appeared in your life? Would you really want him if he did? What was that about, Michelle? How did that work inside you? Well, that's the big question that, you know, is the question of one of the biggest questions of my life. And it keeps, that theme keeps showing up in the whole book. And to this day, I can't be completely sure. You know, I don't know. If Mr. Perfect showed up, would I say yes? If I had to answer that right now, given everything that's happened in my long and winding life, I think I'd say yes this time, finally. Mm. So back to, to the Jorge love capade, he had three monkey boys. He called them the monkey boys, the <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> His little monkeys, yeah. His little monkeys. And he you know, was not with the moms and struggled with the moms from what you were telling us and concluded that he needed a wife to, to become a better dad. How did that make you feel when he concluded that? Well, didn't make me feel great. I mean, I understood where he was coming from because he really struggled on how to deal with those three boys. And he was always having fights with these mothers. So I guess he figured out that he needed a wife to help him manage that. And he didn't really want a wife, but he thought maybe it was the best solution. So he told me that. And I thought, well, I can understand where he's coming from. But I don't think it's going to be good for our relationship. And in the end, it wasn't. But you did go through a light bulb moment about the possibility of the two of you being married. Well, you know, I all through my life, I've had these light bulb moments. And so I always explore them. And in this case, I decided to explore them with Linda, the famous therapist. And I went to see her and we did the muscle testing bit. And there were these four poignant questions. I was amazed by the answers. Yes, I should explore being married to Jorge. Good grief, Gertie. <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect that. But anyway, that's what came back. So in true Michelle form, I followed it up and invited him over. You know, we hadn't seen each other for a while. I invited him over saying I had something important to discuss. So I actually didn't realize that you hadn't seen each other for a while. So there was a period of time that you backed off a little bit. 
Well, we'd broken up because of this wife thing. I see. And I didn't feel comfortable while he was out searching for a wife. So we hadn't seen each other for a couple months. But then I had this thought, maybe we should be married. And I explored it. So then I needed to discuss it with him. So I invited him over. And then that magical thing happened. Well, you know, I love the part of the story where, of course, you were both very careful not to get pregnant and using condoms. I guess it wasn't just pregnancy because you had a hysterectomy. It was more than that. No, it was, yeah, he was very fastidious. You know, he didn't want any diseases transmitted. He was very fastidious that way. So he always used a condom. Uh-huh. But you, you're you ready to make love, but you're out of condoms. So, so then what happened? What happened after that? <laughs> well, then we decided we had to go get some. So, <laughs> you know, so I said, oh, well, we'll put the top down on the car. It's a full moon. We'll make a little adventure of it. And he said, no, I want to drive. And my heart sank. I went, oh, shit. I don't want to get in that stupid garden truck. But I decided to go with it for a change, not to try to override it. And we walked out. As we approached the driveway, I see this Mercedes sitting there. It was another one of those totally surprising moments in, in our relationship. I thought to myself, ah, it's been two months since I've seen him, but look what he's done. He's bought a Mercedes. And I knew that came from our relationship. And I was just delighted by the whole thing. It was adorable. And then I think you asked him to get you a surprise when you're on your drive. So why'd you ask him to do that? I don't know where that came from. I just It just came out. It bring me a surprise. And then he shows up with that heart-shaped balloon that says, I love you. Oh, Gee, wh- gee whiz. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, I guess this is love. Anyway, it was very sweet. But in the end, we parted ways. The time of Camelot came to a close. And he went on his way and... I think in the end he found a wife, but we didn't ever continue our affair. That was the end. Well, you actually describe it as there are seasons of love, which is so lovely in connection with the garden and everything. But can you explain a little bit more about seasons to love? Love is something that comes and goes. And in our case, it came in a beautiful way and stayed for five years. And then the season for our love ended. And I think that's true of many affairs. You know, in my life, I've had affairs that came back into my life. But in this case, the season had ended. And it it was a beautiful season. Beautiful. Well, to wrap up my questions for this particular episode, I just want to say that this naturally is truly the last love story of the book, even though there's another chapter to tie up some loose ends. And it brings up so many themes that were running through the entire book. So just remind us a little bit about some of those themes. Yeah, I think the story does evoke a lot of the themes I'd been discussing all along. And, you know, one of the themes was my relationship with my body. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that came up clearly. Another theme is what the universe offers you. Are you going to 
say no and have a dull life, or are you going to say yes? And obviously, I prefer the more exciting life. Another theme is love is not always what you expect. My goodness, isn't that true? All the unexpected love affairs I've had. And then the issue of paying something forward. I love that. You are given a gift and you decide to pass the gift on to someone else. I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And then that final question. <laughs> if Mr. Wright actually did appear, would I say yes or no? And I think I said just a few minutes ago, at this point in time, I believe I would say yes. So there we are, the fairy tale in the garden. A wonderful story and a very unexpected story, but something I cherish, just I cherish. So we're almost at the end, but we have a few tidbits to explore next time. Until then, <laughs> I'm looking forward. Love is in the air. Ah, love is in the air. Bye, Michelle. All right. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by Studio Pod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.